Hey everyone, Josh Taylor here from CE Podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of another episode. Um, we're so happy, so grateful, um, especially me, of course. Uh, the, the podcast has just been on fire. Uh, lots of questions, lots of people, uh, you know, wanting advice. Um, so again, if you have anything, especially, you know, everyone counts, of course, um, but to out there to our premium subscribers, if you have specific things that you would love for me to talk about, things maybe that you're having trouble at home, um, it, or if you even want to maybe um, send a bunch of questions where uh, the podcast is, uh, I wouldn't say entirely about that specific uh, situation, but a big portion of it could be about what's going on at home. So please let me know. Okay, CE podcast at canineeducation.ca. So today I wanted to just get into a little bit of our story time. Every time I do story time on um, on the CE podcast, uh, everyone always says like more stories, more stories. So I know the advice is good. People like the advice, but people love hearing the stories. So I thought today some things that we could talk about were... What expectations should be when we are dealing with science-based uh, positive reinforcement? Um, as people know, um, and they've been wanting me to talk about the history, and I think we'll get into that on another episode for sure, about um, how I got to where I am now, why I'm science-based, etc. Getting into more details, I guess, about it. Um, but like again, let's get into um, what that success really looks like, and um, I, I think something that has been probably the hardest for me in the sense of like the transition is that um, people have to have a lot more patience when it comes to uh, doing things right. I guess that is uh, a good way to describe it. Um, I find that when we are working, especially with complicated behaviors, we typically think that our dog is somewhat of uh, i I'm, I'm just generalizing here, right? So this isn't counting everyone, of course, but over the 18 years of doing this, the experience I've received is that, including myself, there was a time, once upon a time, where I did feel like this, where everything dog-related is somewhat of a machine. So what, what I mean by that is the way our dog acts, if they're not acting a specific way or a certain way, um, they're broken. Um, it, 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 when it comes to barking, when it comes to lunging, when it comes to reactivity, when it comes to the big ones that really embarrass us, um, typically the first response is that, well, obviously I don't want my dog to act like this, sure. But secondly, it's, I've had four German Shepherds, I've never had a German Shepherd like this. Or, um, you know, it, it's always either breed specific or the generalization of I had three German Shepherds or I had two Dobermans and, you know, this Doberman is nothing like the other Dobermans. 
Um, so we typically have this thing where all dogs should basically be the same. And I think we forget that they have feelings. And I think we forget that they have a brain, that they're sentient, that they have their own emotions, that they're going to think certain things. Um, I think we need to stop assuming dogs can be so programmable. Okay. Um, I think the best analogy you can really do or use is somewhat that of a child. Um, I think that's the closest thing that we could, you know, that we could look into it. Um, I think when it does come to these behaviors, whether it's just simple obedience or something more, um, I think it is absolutely absurd not to believe that dogs can have disabilities, mentally especially. I think it's very odd that people still to this day don't believe that dogs can have anxiety um, or anything of that matter. Uh, I think that that's, that's quite, quite, quite insane to, to believe. Um, I think the more that they are with us, the more domesticated they are, the more they are away from, I guess you could say like their roots, so to speak. You know, dogs are more like companions now than they are working dogs. I think that that's going to always cause a little bit more of a ripple. Um, COVID is a great example of that. Right. If dogs didn't have feelings, if dogs, you know, didn't have these social scenarios that they that they should be going through, etc., then COVID wouldn't have really done anything to them. But instead, because we've been home, we've created a lot of dogs who are anxious um, and a lot of dogs who uh, are more afraid, who have not been exposed um, and a dog who can be scared or a dog who can be angry, um, it would be quite ironic to think that they can have those emotions, but they can't have other emotions or, 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 or things that they can't control in their body, like their heart rate going too fast, which is theoretically one of the symptoms when it comes to anxiety, uh, not being able to control themselves. Um, so I think we need to take a minute and realize that dog training is not about slapping on a collar or um, whatever, you know, or, or putting on a, a prong or even delivering treats every time and all the time. I think, um, we need to realize that these things take time and, and patience. And I think when it comes to the reality of dog training, you know, we've come a long way. I think we've learned quite a few things. I know I have. Um, and though my results in my, in my, in my younger years of doing dog training, were different in the sense that um, 
you know, using more of an, of a balanced approach where I was using aversive methods with like affection, um, as a reward when they did it right. I think that, um, uh, one of the big things for me was definitely my kids. And, um, uh, you know, everyone has a different analogy, I guess, right? So some people look at dogs as dogs, um, and that's and they're animals, and that's that. And you know, this is where they are on the hierarchy. You know, uh, you know, I don't know. Chickens and cows and pigs are down here. Dogs are up here. You know, and then people. So you know, there's that chain. Um, I typically think that dogs and pretty much all animals are right there. They're right there. Um, and I think that that's one of the big reasons why, um, why I realize now that when I would be using these methods, these aversive methods, um, it doesn't matter if you think that it's not hurting them um, I think what's the most important about it is their their mental state, um, their well-being. Um, and I've, I remember myself so many times where I would, I would correct a dog and the dog would be completely non-confrontational, basically shutting down. Um, and this would be, for me, this would be a projection of like, ah, oh, look, the dog is settling now. The dog is calm. The dog is relaxed. Not knowing what I know now, of course. Um, and, you know, this is why I think it's so important that we're continuing to educate ourselves and learning more as dog trainers. Um, so I have a little bit of a different approach now when it comes to my clients Actually, in so many ways, I, I ask my clients whether or not they're okay with um, being a little aversive with their dog. If, if they're okay with mentally um, affecting them to that degree. See, some people don't, don't have a problem putting on um, a collar, a shock collar, or... Uh, you know, a prong or any of those things. And if that truly is the case, then, you know, science-based, like positive reinforcement probably isn't the role you want to take. You know, if you want to learn and you want to get into, you know, I think a, a higher level of understanding than just, you know, correct, 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 submit, and get the result you want if you really want to get into the underlying issue you know because at the end of the day when we use these corrections we're just correcting the surface that's all we're doing um, and one of the big reasons why I started to dig deep and you know kind of expand my knowledge as opposed to just sticking to um, the balanced approach uh, at the time was because the aversive methods that I was using with my dog at the time, typically I found that um, as the years went on, weird things started to kind of pop up a little bit. Um, 
she was very high level trained. Um, I mean, search and rescue, uh, you name it. She, she did everything. She, she was incredible. People would see her and, and want my card right away. Like, I mean, that's how good she was. And, you know, it took a little bit of a, di a dive, you know. And so, obviously, I looked into, like, medical, if there was anything going on with maybe her hips, her legs. Uh, you know, German Shepherds, they typically can, can be uh, funny with that. Um, but everything came out good. And this is when I started getting into the research and, and I, I, I found long-term side effects. You know... What we used to do with children is a really great example, right? Things have changed. And I'm not saying that our kids are not soft. You know, I forget that quote, but it was a really good quote. It was like, uh, what was it? Strong people create weak people. And weak people create hard times. And hard times create strong people. And it just kind of cycles, right? So you grow up with having nothing and you want your kids to have everything. Um, and this cycle kind of repeats. And the reason why I guess I'm saying that, I mean, hey, I'm no child psychologist, okay? But the reason why I'm saying that is because, yeah, there's no question about it. You know, we've kind of changed our approach and so on. And people say stuff like, oh, you know, like... Uh, uh, our kids are, are soft these days or whatever, whatever case or anxiety is on an all time high and, and this and that. But like at the end of the day, we know for a fact that, for example, bullies and things like this were underlying issues that caused that surface scenario to come out. So you could punish a bully on the surface level as much as you want, which usually bullies in some ways Again, I'm just using an example, complete personal example, but like a bully, you know, would go home and probably get physically, mentally abused, which then that's, you know, at home, the, the, the person was, the child was very kind of, I guess you could say submit. And then at school, that's where that level would come over where, you know, the child would be like, you know, hurting people or making fun of them or whatever. Um, so the whole point of what I'm trying to say here is that when you're using these aversive methods, you could be creating long-term side effects, just like we know that that has happened with children. And it's because they have brains just like kids, and their, their activity level, their mind is that of a toddler, okay? A little bit older than a toddler, maybe, okay? So this is why it's just so important that we focus on um, figuring out the underlying issue and understanding that um, these things take time, like time, lots of time. You have a rescue who is from a different world and now you have them on leash and now they are um uh you know expected to follow into this groove i mean that's a lot easier said than done it takes time you have a dog that you rescue rescued from a puppy mill that has been you know in a crate for five years and now the dog is a little reactive outside i mean can you really blame the dog in some ways? So when you look at your results, 
recovery and, and, you know, not reacting and, you know, focusing on you and being less, uh, you know, uh, less anxiety like symptoms and so on. Like all of these things take time. And one thing though doesn't change is that progressive desensitization, right? Being out there, getting out there, but in scenarios where your dog is less likely to react. This is complete science-based. This is why um, it takes time, but yet um, it, the, the results when you see them are huge. Not just that, but like it feels good to know that your dog is doing these things out of a complete respectful way. The dog is not afraid or nervous about whatever that you know correction may be, right? So I'm not saying you don't say no to your dogs. I'm not saying that, um, you know, you don't let them know when you're not happy. Um, I let my kids know when they're not happy, when I'm not happy. I let my dog know when I'm not happy. But what it means though, is that you're focusing on the positive. You're focusing on rewarding the good moments. You know, it's funny. You want to know the number one thing I get from people? The number one thing I get is... If let's say the dog, um, I don't know, let me give you an example. Um, let's say the dog is barking out the window, okay? Um, and I'll explain like why it's happening, like the, 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 the theory behind it, like the psychology, but, but listen to this, okay? This is more about the human. So the dog's barking out the window. So the, 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 the person says like, stop it be quiet, whatever, the dog stops. And then they reward them. Whether it's affection or they're just like, good job, you know, no barking or whatever. They have no problem doing that. They, they say like, yeah, this is good. You know, like uh, my dog understands. And so what I say is if the, does the dog ever go by where the dog sees the human and doesn't bark at all, like none, and they'll say, yeah, yeah, that happens too sometimes. I go, that's when you should really be rewarding them. And they always say to me, but how is the dog supposed to know that he's not supposed to bark? Right there. So you see what's happening? We associate that we need to correct them every time in order for them to learn what they're not supposed to do, right? But you need to focus on what they are supposed to do. If they see people go by and they're not barking and you're rewarding them, the dog is associating that when people go by, I can be quiet, I get rewarded, this is the right thing to do, okay? So I'm not saying that what you were doing before is wrong, I'm just saying that isn't it funny how people think that if they correct the bark and then they pet the dog versus if the dog doesn't bark from the beginning, then they think that they shouldn't pet the dog. This is just like one of the little things I always say, which is, uh, you know, the, the, the secret to dog training is to reward nothing, right? So, you know, like our kids, they know that there's a 50-50 chance if they're quiet, not doing anything, that we will give them attention, 50%. Versus if they're doing something wrong, they know that they will get our attention 100% of the time. So sometimes dogs will actually do things in order for you to react and then reward. So you got to look out for that too.
There's a lot going on there. All right. I would love to hear from one of our premiums who specifically is having any kind of issues who I could either have on the podcast. That would be amazing. Or someone that we could get some questions from so that we can um, answer a few of them for our premiums. Okay, we really appreciate you. I also appreciate everyone else. Thank you so much. If you have any questions, this goes for anyone, okay, premium or not premium, please, cepodcast at canineeducation.ca. I want to hear from you. I want to, um, uh, you know, as you see, uh, I'm, in, I'm in a different spot right now. I'm actually in the future podcast room. Uh, so I'm just getting some things ready and uh, hopefully uh, the room will be ready uh, very soon. Thank you so much. Have a great day.